0: Well, at this time, I want to dismiss um, children, ages four through kindergarten, to children's church as well. um, Those who are part of the the English class who are going to be going to hear the sermon, you can also be dismissed at this time. And as they're leaving us, uh, if you would, if you haven't already, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Thanks, Scott, for leading us through prayer of that through that text. I think that was, as you were praying, um, I'm like, man, there's something, we should do this every week. (laughs) There is something really rich about asking the Lord for the text you're in, that he would bring it home to our hearts. And I pray that's what he would do this morning for all of us. Well, for many of you, uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Not because the holidays are approaching, although for some of you a holiday of sorts is approaching, because Saturday marks the beginning of rifle season in Pennsylvania. (laughs) I was counting on that amen, Adam. Um, Some of your hearts throb as you think about getting out into the deer stand. Now, for some of you, that's not the case at all, like myself. But you know you have people, at least in your life, that, that are meaningful to you that feel this way about deer hunting. And if you love hunting, if all you can think about all year round is getting the chance to get out in the woods and shoot a deer, then you're going to prioritize time in the deer stand during these precious short weeks that are coming up. Uh, You're going to bend your schedule to fit those weeks. And if somebody tells me that they love hunting, but during this season they only spend one hour of one morning in the woods, I'm going to say, you don't really love hunting. You can't really love hunting. If you really love hunting, you'll prioritize it. You'll give yourself as many opportunities to get a deer as possible. Now, for those of you who hunting is not your thing, uh, take another seasonal activity like skiing or snowboarding. I I know several of you are, are big skiers and snowboarders. Same thing, there's a limited time to do it. And if you really love it, during these precious winter months, you're gonna prioritize it. Make it a a big priority in your schedule to get out on the slopes. Well, Scott read Colossians 3, 1 through 17, and in our sermon this morning, we are only going to focus on verse 16 of that text, which deals with the gathered worship of the church. And if you are a Christian your chief desire, deep down underneath all of your other desires, your chief desire is to encounter and enjoy the living Jesus, as we say around here. To, to worship him, in other words, with your whole life. Now throughout this sermon series, we've been talking about how the church is the antidote for our anxious and apathetic age. And so at the front end, I don't know any other way than to just name this Straight up, most of us who are Christians are apathetic about the gathered worship of the church. And that could be the case for many different reasons. And I hope to explore some of those reasons with you as we talk this morning. But let me just say this. If you desire to love and know Jesus, if you desire to worship him with your whole life, but you don't prioritize corporate worship, It's about as illogical and self-defeating as saying you have a desire to get a buck, but you can't find the time to get in the tree stand. Church, my goal this morning is not to strong arm you or to guilt you into coming to church more. That's not my goal at all. What I wanna do this morning is show you that if you are a Christian, then prioritizing corporate worship is the thing that makes the most sense in the world. And in fact, it resonates with the deepest longing and love in your heart to see Jesus Christ and to be transformed by him. So if you would, would you pray with me, and we'll look at this text together. Lord, my prayer as I come to preach your word this morning is the same as the song we ended with. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Do that this morning, Lord, by coming in power with your Holy Spirit and letting the word of Christ dwell richly among us so that we are changed. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the main point of my sermon this morning is to encourage us to prioritize corporate worship. And I'm going to give us three reasons why I think we should. So prioritize corporate worship. Because it results in our transformation, because it requires our participation, and because we've received salvation. So, prioritize corporate worship because it results in our transformation, it requires our participation, and because we've received salvation. So, first, prioritize corporate worship because it results in our transformation. Now, a few months ago, when we were planning this sermon series, and we as a staff uh, got our heads together to come up with the titles for the sermons in this series, we titled this sermon, A Goal for Our Gathering. And the Apostle Paul gives us the goal for why we gather together each week as a church in that first phrase of verse 16. Look at that with me. It says there, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Now, that command is situated in Paul's larger argument in chapter 3, which Scott read. And if I could summarize that argument again for us so it's fresh in our minds, this is what I would say. The church of Jesus, since she has been united to him by trusting in him, is in one sense already raised from the dead. If you trust in Christ, your zip code is not anywhere on this earth. Your zip code is hidden with Christ in God. That's where you truly belong. And so because of this, we are to seek the things that are above. We are to live differently because at the core of who we are, we are people who are born from above. We're people who are given a new identity in Christ. And what it means to seek the things that are above is to put to death, like Paul says in verse 5, the things associated with our life apart from Christ, and to put on, like he says in verse 12, the character of Jesus as a community. Essentially, Paul is saying, at a fundamental level, you've been made new in Jesus. Because that's true, then live like Jesus, And part of that overarching command to put on the character of Christ as his command to the whole community involves letting Christ's word dwell in us richly. And by Christ's word there, the Apostle Paul means the message about Christ, the gospel. Now, there's a difference between simply dwelling somewhere and dwelling somewhere richly. So uh, you'll, you'll know this if you have good friends. So good friends dwell richly when they come over to your house for dinner. Good friends don't ask you if they can use your bathroom or not. Good friends don't, don't necessarily ask you if they can have a cup of water. They just go, they know where the cup is in the pantry. They go to it and they get their own water and they sit down, maybe they take their shoes off and they prop their feet up and they say, how's it going? Good friends dwell richly. And good hosts encourage people with everything in them when they come into their home to dwell richly there. Uh, It takes time, right? We're not necessarily immediately uh, prone to dwell richly somewhere. When we go to somebody's home we don't really know well, there's hesitation. Maybe we don't prop our feet up right away when we walk in the door. That would be inappropriate. But good hosts encourage us to dwell richly, to feel welcome. Mm The goal of corporate worship is to have the living Jesus take up residence in us richly, with his feet propped up, making himself right at home in our life together. And when the gospel dwells richly in us as a church, we look more like Jesus. That's the goal of our gatherings, that Christ would take up residence richly among us so that we would look more like him. And we need this rhythm of of a regular corporate gathering together to encounter the beauty of Jesus so that we're transformed into his image. Because if we don't do that together, if we're not beholding Jesus together, then we will be deformed or conformed into something else besides the image of Jesus. That's what the text that that Pastor David read for our confession today, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, says. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The reason why Paul, in this larger context, calls us to put parts of the old man to death is that there are so many things in this world that threaten to deform us by drawing our eyes away from Christ. Paul is raising the stakes. He's saying, put these things to death. Kill them. As one famous Christian theologian said, kill sin or it will be killing you. There's no neutral ground there. And think about the way in which the world today, uh, our own day and age, threatens to deform us. To play upon our sinful desires so that we are conformed not into the image of Christ, but something else. So just for starters, the average person in the world in the world spends about two and a half hours a day on social media. That's average in the whole world. All 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 like all age demographics, population demographics considered. And there are many articles and reports out there explaining how essentially social media is designed to be addictive and to fuel our outrage such that we are divided up and essentially screaming at each other through screens, divided into factions. So the world is trying to transform us into playing upon our sinful desires. And that's just one piece of the puzzle. Think of the outrage machines of talk radio uh, and news media outlets or the gratuitous amounts of sexually explicit content in so much of our entertainment that turns men and women simply into objects. Our world is a formation machine. And the more that we take that in, we don't take that in neutrally. And some of you, if I could speak candidly, are apathetic about corporate worship because your busy schedule and busy life has blocked out your ability to see that there is a war going on for the worship of your heart. The stakes are high in this church. You miss two or three Sundays in a row at church and, and you don't think anything of it because you're really busy. But worship with the gathered church has a direct impact Impact on the transformation of your whole person into Christ likeness. I may sound like a raging fundamentalist to some of you at this point, but here's the point I'm trying to make. We don't stand a chance at following Jesus faithfully in this world today unless we prioritize corporate worship. Committing to corporate worship is like drawing a line in the sand with our schedule. It's saying, this will be the center around which all else spins. It's saying, I am going to commit in my schedule to prioritizing something so that Jesus can take up residence in my life. And you might say, transformation into the image of Jesus is more than just corporate worship, and I'd say, absolutely, but it is certainly not less than that. And this isn't about a legalistic set of rules. And especially if you're here and you're considering Christianity or you're not a Christian, that is not what I want you to hear today. This is about people who say they love hunting, getting out in the tree stand regularly enough to actually get a deer. If you say that you love Jesus Christ, corporate worship should be a priority in your life because you should position yourself regularly to behold the beauty of Jesus And become more like him. Now you might ask, the question you might ask at this point is, okay, but but why corporate worship? Like, I understand what you're saying that like the world is 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 pulling at the affections of my heart all the time, and so I need to behold Jesus to become more like him so I can be transformed into his image. But why corporate worship? Like, can't that transformation happen in so many different ways? Can it happen by myself reading the Bible and in prayer? Can it happen while I'm listening to my favorite worship album? Or can it happen with my community group? Like, why are you so insistent, Ben, on corporate worship? Well, I, there's several reasons I could give, but, but let me just give this one. When we gather together weekly, we reenact and rehearse the story of the gospel, And no other part of your week, I would argue, is more intentionally crafted to bring you face-to-face with Jesus in the gospel than the gathered worship of the church. And I'm not just talking about the songs that we sing or the words that our pastors preach. We shape the entire service on Sunday mornings to tell the story of the gospel to our hearts over and over again so that the word of Christ might dwell in us richly. We tell each other the story of the gospel week after week so that the good news of Jesus might actually get down into our bones and change us. So if you would, this might seem strange, look at your bulletin. If you would, just grab your bulletin and open it up. Just open it into the middle fold there, and you'll see there our order of service. So give me, give me a minute just to do like my, like, you guys don't have me as a worship pastor for much longer, so let me just like geek out for a second on why we do what we do in corporate worship to show you what we're trying to do so that we might all let the word of Christ dwell in us richly together. So we begin every week with a call to worship. Now, so in the call to worship, we start our worship services that way because we assume that we are all coming into worship with our minds and hearts distracted not thinking about God, not thinking about his beauty and glory, right? That's what my week looks like most of the time. I show up in Sunday morning worship, and I'm distracted. And so in the midst of all that, the Lord speaks to us in his word and says, I am God. This is who I am. Worship me. I'm the one alone worthy of your worship. And then as we're confronted with who God is, As we come face to face with who we are as sinful and broken people living in a sinful and broken world, we then confess our sins and lament our suffering to God. We, We agree with God that we are sinners. We acknowledge who we are before him. And then my favorite part of the worship service every week, we hear the good news of the gospel spoken over us that Jesus Christ forgives our sin based on his death and resurrection. Every week we hear that good news declared over us who trust in Christ. And then we sing songs of joy and gratitude. We rejoice together because of what Christ has done in the gospel. And after we hear the word preached We're then blessed and sent out into the world as those who have come face-to-face with Jesus, sent out to worship him in the rest of our lives throughout the week. And as we reenact and retell that gospel story each and every week, my prayer as a worship pastor here for seven years has been that the gospel would make itself at home in us as we do that week after week. And our prayer as a pastoral staff and elder team here is that you would encounter Jesus richly as you hear the good news every week and that you would leave here changed people, people that are able to go into the world, like it says in verse 17, and in whatever you do, word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, some of you who are here might be apathetic about corporate worship because you're discouraged about corporate worship you might say that's cool ben i'm glad you guys put that much care into your services to 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 have a see christ in the gospel but i just don't see it doing anything in my life like do you know how hard it is to get my family here some semblance of on time without us fighting on the way over here do, do you know how hard it is just to be present here? Uh, it seems more meaningful to me to just get get gathered worship when we can, and then really prioritize, really really prioritize our community group. And if that's you here this morning, um, I just know that I understand, and I, I hope this is encouraging to you. I just want to encourage you to trust the process. The work of transformation in corporate worship takes time. So to go back to our analogy of a hunter again, like the hunter, you may go out into the the woods 12 times over the next three weeks. It might take you like long stints over the course of 12 different occasions throughout the three weeks to get one deer. It may take six months to a year of corporate worship. Before what you're hearing and singing actually drops down into your heart and begins to change you. We all have seasons like that in the Christian life. Pastor Tim Keller, somewhere, I don't know where, some sermon I heard from him a while ago, used the illustration of a soda machine to describe Christian transformation. Our hearts are all like old soda machines. You guys ever had this experience before, when you go to buy a soda and you put in your four quarters, or it's probably like 350 now for a coke, but <laughs> you put in your four quarters and you press the button and nothing comes out. And you're like, "Oh man, And that's a test of like, "How bad do I want this coke?" Like, and then you, then you do it again, and nothing comes out. Maybe you do it a third time and nothing comes out. And then you get so frustrated, you just kick the dang thing. And then out comes like five sodas, and you're like, Cool, I guess. (laughs) It all kind of comes down at once. I think that's a great illustration for what corporate worship and transformation looks like. If you're discouraged this morning about corporate worship and what it might be doing in you and does it really matter, does it do anything, I would encourage you, keep putting money in the machine. Keep coming with an honest heart to corporate worship that's seeking the Lord, doing the best you can, And after a while, that soda will fall. Transformation will happen. You will encounter God's love experientially in the gospel and you will change. Trust the process. So all of that was an encouragement to prioritize corporate worship because it results in our transformation. My second point is to prioritize corporate worship because it requires our participation because it requires our participation. Now there's a big difference between going to a concert and going to a banquet. So so at a concert, we judge how well the event uh, went based on how well the people up front performed and how well they are entertaining us. Uh, We might participate some, at at a really good concert you you might participate a good bit, But the success of the event rises and falls on the entertainer. At a banquet, though, the success of the event largely depends upon the guests. The conversation at the dinner table, if it's a nonprofit fundraiser banquet, how much money is raised in a silent or a live auction, the liveliness of the dance floor, and many other factors at a banquet depend upon the participation of the guests. Colossians 3 tells us that we must view corporate worship as a banquet and not as a concert. And only then will the word of Christ dwell richly in us. So if you would look with me again at Colossians 3 verse 16. We're going to read the whole verse again. And I'm actually, instead of the ESV, which is our the the Bible in the back of the pews, that translation, I'm going to read it from the NIV because I think the NIV helps to bring out... um, the the point of what's being said here clearer. So verse Colossians 3.16 again says in the NIV, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So in other words... Corporate worship as a banquet. The gospel of Jesus, the message of Christ, takes up residence in us as a church as we teach and admonish one another through our corporate singing. Do you see that? So the the, the message of Christ dwells among us richly as we teach and admonish one another through the means of songs, singing. In other words, we don't gather to worship just because we need individual time to sing to Jesus. We we don't even gather for corporate worship just because we need individually to receive the word of God, although we do. We don't even just gather because we need time to sing together to God and worship him. Corporate worship is more communal than that. We gather together because we need to hear the teaching and admonishment of our brothers and sisters singing to God and also singing to us. As we sing in church, we are reminding each other of the good news of Jesus, encouraging one another towards embracing Jesus in the gospel more. Even sometimes we sing for our brothers and sisters when they don't have the words to sing because they're so discouraged and they're suffering so badly. In my time leading worship here at our church, I can remember specific Sundays where I would be leading a song and then I would make eye contact with a specific brother or sister in our church and think, I'm not singing this for me anymore. I'm singing this for them. I remember looking at a brother who was suffering in the eye And singing the second verse to the song, Christ Our Hope in Life and Death. Looking at him singing, what truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. Where is his grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood. Who holds our faith when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? I remember looking another brother in the eye who was so discouraged and beating himself up over the indwelling sin in his life and singing the first verse of Before the Throne of God Above. Singing, Before the Throne of God Above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, No tongue can bid me thence depart. Church, we prioritize corporate worship because we are all worship leaders in the household of God. Your brothers and sisters need you to show up and sing the truths of the gospel down into their soul, just like you need that from them. I think so oftentimes we don't think of each other like this, but we are all preachers in that sense. We are all worship leaders. We're all teaching and admonishing one another, saying, keep following Jesus, you can do it. No matter how discouraged you are or what's going on, look to Christ. And our singing together bolsters that in our hearts. And although you may not think that your neighbor wants to hear your voice, (laughs) they need to. They really need to. And at the end of our service today, uh, we're gonna have an opportunity to do something like that where we intentionally sing to God, yes, but also to one another. But before we get there, I have one more point. (laughs) So prioritize corporate worship because it results in our transformation, because it requires our participation, and because we have received, lastly, salvation. Now, this passage contains a timely reminder for us, given the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday this week. Uh, the, The Apostle Paul, in verses 15 through 17, encourages the church three times to be thankful. But what's interesting is that in verse 16, where he says, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, that word for thanksgiving isn't the typical Greek word used for thanksgiving. It's a different word than the word used in verse 15 and in verse 17. It's actually the word for grace. Now, why would, why would the Apostle Paul do that? Uh, why, why would he use that word specifically to describe how we are to sing together, worship together as a church? Well, New Testament scholar uh, Gordon Fee has this to say about why the Apostle Paul chose that word in particular He says, the focus in this verse is not so much on our attitude toward God as we sing, but on our awareness of his attitude towards us. Church, what is God's attitude towards us? What does the Father do as he looks down on his church, his people? In the prophet Zephaniah in the Old Testament, God, through the prophet, declares this wonderful word of salvation for the people of Israel. This tells us what God's attitude is towards his people. It says there in Zephaniah 3, starting in verse 14, it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Jesus Christ is the mighty warrior God who has vanquished all of our enemies. Jesus Christ is the faithful sacrifice who through his cross has turned the punishment of God for sin away from all who trust in him. And now the only sound that can be heard out of heaven for the people of God who trust in Christ is singing. Singing songs of delight come from heaven, from God to his people. And that is truth that can make even the most stoic and apathetic among us sing for joy. Church, Paul uses that word grace here in verse 16 to describe our singing because the singing of a church is directly related to how well we understand grace. When we realize That God delights in us. He sings over us with delight, even though all we rightfully deserve is eternal death in hell. When we realize that we've been forgiven a debt we could never pay, how could we not sing and rejoice? How could we not want to gather for worship to hear every week the song of the Father in Christ by the Spirit delighting in us together every week? For someone to hear the gracious song of God over them and not to worship is about as nonsensical as the hunter who loves hunting who doesn't go out into the tree stand. We gather and worship because God is already singing over us, because he delights in us with his love, and because we did not deserve it, he showed us grace. And now that grace produces in us songs of gratitude, songs like, if you'll permit me to quote one more song lyric. This is, uh, this is what you get when you get the worship pastor teaching on corporate worship. But the Charles Wesley hymn, And Can It Be, the first verse, this is an expression of how hearts of grace overflow in songs of gratitude. He marvels there, And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, who caused his pain, for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That is a man that understands grace. You only get those words if you are given something that you do not deserve. And in Christ, that is what we all have. And so may we be a people who are passionate to gather together for corporate worship, ultimately, because we are profoundly grateful for the grace that we have received in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? And then we'll talk more about this exciting thing we're gonna do here at the end of our service. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you sing over us in your love. Father, I pray for all of us here more than anything else this morning, that we would experience that reality, that we would know that in Christ you are singing songs over us even though the only sound really that should be heard from heaven over us is weeping. But you sing because of Christ. And so, Lord, as people who are changed out of gratitude in our hearts, may we now sing to praise your name and to encourage one another so that we might all together be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.